It's time for Taking Care of Business on Midlands 183. With thanks to the local enterprise offices of Leash, Offaly and Westmeath. Find us on localenterprise.ie and let's talk business. Midlands 103. Hello and a very good evening to you all. It's Tuesday the 3rd of October. I'm Ronan Berry and you're very welcome to Taking Care of Business. Coming up between now and 8 o'clock, Ronan Whelan, the Chief Commercial Officer at Syro Broadband, will detail what a full fibre Ireland means for Irish businesses and the opportunities it can unlock. Surprisingly, up to about 90% of businesses still have not transitioned to fibre broadband. I was a bit surprised at that stat myself, so looking forward to learning why and indeed what organisations such as Syro are doing for us and particularly for local businesses about that. Did you know the Restaurant and Hospitality Skillnet have launched two brand new e-learning programmes and they're designed to make businesses more efficient and profitable. Their network manager, Neve O'Malley, will have all the details you need, including how you can register if you have a company that is eligible for those and you would like to get involved. And you've probably just heard in the news there stats that a lot of tourist attractions are at about 58% of pre-COVID visitor levels. So definitely there are concerns out there and we know a lot of that industry is struggling to really get back to where it was pre-COVID. But um, lots of moves have been made. Hopefully they do pay off. One move that was made by government, and it's another thing we'll feature on the show tonight, is that whole area of tax warehousing. Over 60,000 businesses and individuals are still availing of revenues taxed debt warehousing scheme. And that was at the end of July this year. Well, John McCann of MCM Accountants will be along to discuss some key deadlines that are approaching from a business and individual perspective, mainly for business on this show, of course. But um, some of the numbers there are quite concerning and maybe quite surprising too. Lots of money put away, but revenue is going to come looking for that money as well. If you are a company or somebody who has a bit of tax warehoused uh, from COVID times, Stay tuned for that because there's some very important information on it. If you want to join this evening's conversation, get in touch with me here in the studio on text or WhatsApp on 083 103, powered by Offaly's top-selling car brand, Land Brothers Toyota in Tullamore. Always happy to have your thoughts and input into the show as well. If you've got a bigger ticket item or something you want to get in touch with me about in general, do so by email, business at midlands103.com. But first this evening, a local company, had a majorly successful week last week. They became the first ever Irish winner at the EU Organic Awards, a major achievement in, you know, in, in anyone's book, and um, particularly though to be the first Irish company, but also to be another company based here in the fantastic Midlands. That company is the Merry Mill. They're based in, in Leash, and I'm delighted to be joined now by founder and CEO, Kevin Scully. Kevin, very good evening. You're welcome to Taking Care of Business. Thank you very much, Ron, for having us on. Kevin, I know, yeah, um, well, in fairness to you, it's not that you spent the last uh, number of days celebrating your reward. You took a quick celebration, but it was uh, right back to business for you. Yeah, no, as I was saying, we're a victim of our own success. Yeah, we got a huge lot of orders off the back of the award, which is brilliant. But yeah, we're literally back to the millstone, fairly quick from, from Brussels. But, which is brilliant also, because anyone has a business, that's what you want, is orders. So we, we will not be complaining. Absolutely. And, and orders it, and, and an award, a bit of recognition never goes unthanked uh, on, on, on for either. But the EU Organic Awards, they're organised by the EU institutions, they're designed to showcase and recognise entrepreneurial organic farmers and enterprises across Europe. So you're one of eight winners, the only one from Ireland. But I suppose, take us back to the very start. You set up in 2015. What got you into um, organic oats in the first instant? Well, I was in organic farming since 2004, and even in organic farming, like I, I was really looking to make a living off the farm. 
I was working off farms on building sites. I was going allergic to concrete and I was always feeling a bit disappointed in myself that I couldn't make a living from the farm. I could stay at home and generate an income. So I was hunting for something. I started with a, a mobile crush I designed, brought to market. That went nowhere. It failed, but it was, I got a learning curve in business. And then I was down one morning actually feeding the cattle with my youngest daughter and I was feeding them rolled oats. She picked up a handful of oats, put in her mouth and said, Daddy, can we eat these? <laughs> like a light bulb moment. I was saying, yes, we can. And I was giving out about the price of cattle and not getting paid well enough. And I said, right, I need to get straight to the customer. So I just went home, went online, done some research into milling oats. And it started from there. Now, it took me two years from that point to get a mill on the farm. But that was the starting point to say, right, I'm going to try and sell this product direct to the customer. And then along the journey, two of our extended family got diagnosed with celiac disease. So then after doing some more research, I found there was no Irish, Irish organic gluten-free oat on the market. So everything in business is about a USP, a unique selling point. So I said, right, there's a really good one to go after. But I soon realized that the challenges of producing an organic gluten-free oat, because like, gluten is a protein that's found in wheat, barley and rye predominantly. So you have to keep that out of your oats. Your oats has to be 100% clean. It's 20 parts per million. So your oats has to have less than 20 million, 20 grains, so the million grains of oats. So it's quite a complex operation. And then you have everything as you go because you're dealing with people's health and their good health. So, so yeah. And so how do, you, how do you control those levels then? And I assume that also brings then the whole suite of, of testing and allergen testing within within the facility. So then we do everything in-house. So we grow, we harvest, we, we mill, we pack, we only do oats. All our machinery, it only only does pure oats. We lab test then as we go for gluten. So that's sort of why we got the award, was off the innovation of being one of Europe's only single source, single origin certified organic, certified gluten-free oat mill. So when, when they looked at that in Europe, they said, right, that's, that's really unique what we're doing. And we're adding real value to our product by following these stringent rules to make sure it's a pure product. So for the end consumer then, they, they can trust and eat this product. Absolutely, a huge recognition. And you, and you mentioned at the very top there that you've almost been the victims of your own success, such as being the orders that have been coming through over the past couple of years, I suppose, particularly following this award as well. Does that then raise any issues for you in terms of your capacity to produce the produce or even grow the oats there? Or have you kind of a, a strategy in place to deal with that? Well, we have a strategy. We expanded last year. We, we quadrupled output of our mill last year and it took on another farm. So we have access to more land to grow more oats. Like we start on a small base, so we'd be nearly doubling our turnover every year. But we're getting to a bigger level now, so the turnover is bigger. So the challenges and the risk are greater then as well. Last year was a real tough year. We had to take on a lot of spending last year, so it put us under a lot of pressure now. It was a tough year. It was, it was just so good to come and win an award this year after the struggle that we went through last year by taking on a farm and then I went and bought a load of new machinery I built an extension to the mill then it's going by a combine bigger combine and just stretched out the finances to the last it was pure elastic band situation last year but we got through it and then it was just it was the icing on the cake then to get an award this year because 
it does automatically help with sales and brand recognition, which is huge for any product for people to recognize your brand on the market. Yeah, it seems like you've got, you've come so far with that in, in, in a relatively short space of time. Is it really taking something that you decide, you know, the way the original idea came and to turn it into the business that it has been now? It's very much though a family run business too, and, and quite a number of the family are working in it at, at present. Uh, what's the kind of headcount in terms of business perspective at the minute? Yeah, well, definitely the whole family's involved, and having kids was a huge asset for what we done because I would be tech illiterate, and they were tech literate, so they they knew technology, and we do an awful lot of business online. Like our online shop is over sixty percent of our business, and it's a, such an important space. Like we have a really good contract got out to Jerusalem where we do uh, Passover kosher harvest, where they come on site. But they found us on Instagram, and we ourselves validated it on Instagram because we'd be putting up, so we had all our transparency up there because they were looking for single source, single origin, certified organic, certified gluten-free oats grown in a quiet part of the world. So we got a really good contract off, of, and they just found us on Instagram. We had ourselves verified to them and they come over and us, and we're on our fourth year now with that order. That's, so that's phenomenal, yeah. That's like, a, yeah. I know your your, your neighbour's not too far away, like Sabali Cavagno exporting beer to Italy and all across Europe. Like it, it's fascinating what can happen, and I'd say a lot of people listening probably didn't realise there was that market at all. You mentioned though how, how online and online retail has been a huge driver for the business. Do you still go to that kind of, you know, uh, trade shows or, or, or farmers markets and stuff like that? Or is that how the business began, but such has been the growth then that you have to look at online and other platforms to, to sell your product? Yeah, we do. Now, we do bloom every year and we've done the National Plown where there are two very good places to go meet our customers. As we've got busier, we've completely pulled back from farmers markets. We just don't have the time for them. And we just concentrate on online on online marketing and it's it's a big space for us and it's a lovely space to do business when you get working as well because you're you're right close to your customer. The order comes in online, you can fill it on our own premises, dispatch it. So it works really well for time management as well. Yeah, you really have it down to kind of a, a, a very slick process there too, all of which is huge. Along the way, Kevin, did you get support from the likes of local enterprise office or with the export, you know, the Enterprise Ireland come knocking on your doors or vice versa? Ah, uh, yeah, no, there is great support. Like, in fairness, Ireland is a great country to start a business. The local Leos in that are actually brilliant. There's great support and great advice there, which is so important when, when you're starting up to have people to give you good advice in business. So the local enterprise have been really good to us. And they backed us from the start, and we got great help there. So I will say Ireland is definitely, we can give out some things in Ireland, but to start a business, you couldn't, I think, be a better country in Europe with the supports that have been put in place to help small businesses. You know, so yeah, no, we, we, we got great support there, and we'd be very grateful for it. Absolutely, no. It sounds like a great platform as well to to build it. I mean, and to get that EU organic award recognition is is huge, and um, you know, fantastic to hear as well that you're reaping the benefits of that too. And I think it's it's really interesting to hear how you've you've you developed that 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 market yeah, way beyond the shores of Ireland. Yeah, because we're tiny in the organic sector in Europe. Like we're only at two percent of land mass compared to the rest. Like you look at the like of Germany and France, they're gone to eight nine, and look at the land mass they have. And then, like, Austria scooped a load of awards over there, but they're up near 30% in organic. So we're, I think, one of the third lowest in Europe. So 
So it was really good to get a ward in in the field we're in. Like you know, there's a lot of huge players out there in the organic sector in Europe. So it, it was really nice. You know, it was a special one to get for for us and even for Ireland because there's huge potential for Ireland. Like you know, we are the Green Island scene in Europe. Like Brand Ireland's massive. You know, so I think there's huge scope for the organic sector to export into Europe and the world. Yeah, you know, well, I, I think you're by by what you're telling us, you're you're more than proven that at the minute. Do you think that two percent rate will rise quite rapidly over the next decade, or is there a is there kind of a reluctance or a hesitance there for for farmers to begin to convert towards organic? Yeah, we've been dragging our heels a bit, but I think the wake up's coming now. You look at say this year in particular huge cost of inputs like chemicals, chemical fertilizer, chemicals on the crops, they're gone really expensive. Like people are investing an awful lot of money and then get a bad harvest. You know, there's a huge loss there. In the organic, you just sow your seed, you leave it, you have no input cost. So you're not taking as much of a risk. And I'd say definitely in the tilly sector, a lot of them, they're letting me look on at it. You know, because of that alone, the cost of growing crops has, and you have no control over it. Like you, you're completely open to the market. Where with the organic sector, Mother Nature's looking after us. So we have a great soil here in Ireland to grow crops. We don't need as much chemicals are being prescribed to crops anyway in the first place. So you'd imagine that people will wake up to that and say, okay, and especially with a growing market, the European consumer are buying, like the stats are there, buying an awful lot more organically. Bio is huge now around Europe, you know, so the demand is growing in Europe. We're in a, an ideal position to fill demand, you know, because we have the climate, we have, as I said this year has been, but in general we have a great climate here for growing crops. So you, I'd be hoping that could be, we, we need to do it anyway. You look at to improve our water quality, our air quality, like our organic has a big part to play in the whole climate change and what's going on in the world. So we do need to up it here. And it looks like we are. Like the, the, From the feedback even now in the organic village at the town, like this year and last year, huge amount of conventional farmers coming in having a look at the organic system. So you get the feeling, yeah, that we could we could get going and, and, and get fast track fairly quick because as I say we have the brand. Brand Ireland's massive, you know, and it, it's a predominantly green brand, you know. So it'll it'll dovetail in perfect into the, the world market there. Absolutely, but it sounds like a conversation that again needs to needs to continue and needs to grow pace as well. But a king for for anybody that's considering it to listen to people like yourselves and and, and business like the Merry Mill speaking about your own experience there. And the fact that you've developed that export market already, and that there's a huge demand coming from 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 across the across the sea and across Europe, and no doubt even further on, I think it's a uh, the how do you put it the 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 um the enticement is there for people to maybe look into that a bit more. But for now, Kevin, I'll let you back to packing and processing and milling, and uh, undoubtedly uh, keeping keeping uh, keeping busy as well. But congratulations once again on that huge achievement for the Merry Mill, and um, look forward to catch up with you again in the future. Thank you, Ronan, and take care. Well, of course, thank you, Kevin. Kevin Scully there is the CEO and founder of the Merry Mill based in Vickerstown, County Leash, set up in 2015, as Kevin said, and last week picked up a major EU organic award, the very first Irish company to do so. Time now for a short break. After that, the whole air thing around broadband is quite an interesting story. It was kind of everywhere before COVID. Then everybody went working from home, or a lot of people, and kind of broadband seemed to be kind of okay. We seem to get quite good service. 
but there's huge plans afoot. I'm sure if you find driving around the Midlands even over the past couple of months, at night you're seeing people out pulling cables and putting in broadband cables and the like. There's something big happening out there. So one of the companies that's involved in the rollout of fibre broadband, broadband all across the Midlands is Cyro, and their chief commercial officer will be with me very shortly. Taking care of business. With thanks to the local enterprise offices of Leash, Offaly and Westmeath. Find us on localenterprise.ie and let's talk business. Still to come, John McCann from MCM Accountants will be along to talk about debt warehousing. And if you're a company or a person who has been affected by it already, has some uh, tax warehouse, you know, particularly from COVID times, some big uh, deadlines coming up there and some important information you need to be aware of but John will take us through some of the key stats and uh, tell us exactly what you should be aware of ahead of the end of what was period three at which point your business have to have some phase payment plans in place with revenue. John of course a huge fan of the revenue so I doubt he'll talk tell us all about that a little bit later and also we're talking to um, the network manager of the Restaurant and Hospitality Skill Net. They've just launched two new e-learning programmes to help make businesses in that sector more efficient and profitable. But first um, as I mentioned before the break, you've probably seen right across the Midlands, huge work is going on in terms of broadband and installing broadband cables and fibre broadband. And there's a number of companies involved in that, one of which is Cyro, and they're a broadband network operator. They're rolling out a full fibre network right across the country and indeed concentrating a lot of towns here in the Midlands, such as Atlone, Mullingar, Tullamore and Port Leash. To date, they had, their network is available to over 520,000 premises in 135 towns and cities across the island. And that number is growing and growing each day. Ronan Whelan is their Chief Commercial Officer and uh, Ronan joins me now. Ronan, it sounds like, a, like this is a huge infrastructure project really from a national perspective. Um, I suppose give us an update on, on where progress is at present. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me on your show, Ronan. It's great to be on. Uh, yeah, listen, Cyro's been in place since 2015, so we've rolled out about 520,000 premises across Ireland. As you say, within the Midlands, probably about 45,000 to date. Uh, but, but our goal is to get to about 720,000 by the end of 2026. Um, so we've uh, we've a hell of a lot of customers already live, um, and it's been like it's been really successful. Uh, but I like I think for your for your listeners, I think really what we'd like to do would be encourage people to go on uh, Cyro.ie and just put in your air code, and I'll explain why in, in a moment. But uh, that's that's really what and, and see if you can get connectivity to the network. And I think delivering fibre is obviously crucial. I find even just, you know, talking to people, not even in business circles, but everybody's on about they want to get fibre into their homes now. Um, so what's, why is kind of fibre, I suppose, considered the gold standard for broadband? Yeah, fibre fiber is considered the gold standard because it uh, doesn't have, it, like, probably the fastest speeds available. Um, uh, the reliability of the network is really second to none. The Cyro network is actually built on the ESP infrastructure, so it's, it makes it very, very capable in terms of its, uh, its reliability. Um, it, it really, for the future, and I think for now, people that are in business really need that that high-speed connectivity in order to do what they're doing. People are obviously video conferencing a lot more. People are, uh, have a lot of this stuff in the cloud, so they need those symmetrical services in order to support the business. So really, it's, it's the way forward for all businesses. And I really would encourage, like, oddly enough, 80% of, Small businesses still are on old copper lines. Those copper lines are actually really going end of life, and it's, I really would encourage people, never mind Cyro, but looking at their fibre options in terms of uh, upgrading their business. And why is it that businesses maybe are lagging there? Is it because there's an investment needed? Like, surely you'd imagine operators will be coming screaming at them saying, "You got to get this change," because you mentioned they're like, I mean, that symmetrical broadband. People now need as much upload as download speed. So, uh, what's what's causing businesses to hesitate in getting in, in moving to fibre? 
Yeah, I think I think when it's work, I think particularly with businesses, they've a lot. They're trying to make money, and they have other uh, uh, objectives, I, I guess, really. And sometimes it can lag in terms of if it ain't broken, uh, you know, just leave it alone. Uh, but I think the reality of it is that people are outgrowing their their current connectivity, so so it really is like the the time to start uh, looking for those options above uh, their current connectivity. Yeah, you'd imagine there will be a point where if you don't have that full fibre connection, you're going to start actually suffering and, and probably, there is say, unlocking yourself out of potential new opportunities too. So if we were to look at those kind of opportunities that having full fibre for, presents for a business, what would be the kind of the top ones that you're noticing from, from your own perspective? Yeah, listen, speed is probably the first one. Uh, you don't have any of that buffering. You don't have any of those lagging issues or, or, or challenges of that. The other thing is you're on multiple users. I think even for small businesses, for home users and that kind of stuff, there's a lot of people usually dragging off those uh, connectivity connections. So you want to be able to have all the bandwidth available to make it make it a good experience. Uh, also, I think with customers, you know, you're dealing with customers now, so you're doing video conferences with customers, even in small businesses, everybody's doing that kind of stuff. You want those connections and those experiences to be really strong. Uh, in order to do that, uh, you really need them. And a lot of your stuff is in the cloud. You're, you're, you're accessing stuff in the cloud. So really, in order to do those type of things, the fiber connectivity becomes critical to your business. So uh, that, that that's the importance of that. Yeah, just before the break there, we were talking to Kevin Scullyder from the Merry Mill in, in Leash, and they're saying how 60% plus of their business is sold online. And it goes to show the importance of good broadband for, for any business, whether they're you know urban-based or rural-based too. But in terms of the rollout then, say, across the Midlands, you know, are there still going to be a lot of businesses that maybe in five years' time will not have access to fibre or kind of nationally, what are the targets and, and again, where are we nationally in terms of reaching those? Yeah, I think in terms of, there's actually over 600,000 customers actually connected to, to uh, fibre connectivity. Uh, multiple different competing networks have rolled out uh, infrastructures or are rolling out infrastructures. Uh, there's still, still challenging areas and the National Broadband Plan is certainly doing and number of those more uh, rural areas as well. So I think we're probably talking about three or four years before the entire country is fully fibred up. Uh, but the large bulk of all the urban centres and the main areas have, have, have been done and are available. I think the process now is really where we have people on old copper lines and moving and transitioning those customers from those copper lines to fibre networks. And that's the process we're in now, but it's, it's definitively accelerating uh, each year. Uh, so... It's good progress, um, but a lot more to be uh, to be done. What's the typical life cycle of a fibre cable then? Like, does it offer that longevity that we need, or will other technologies or other systems ultimately pass it out again? Like, how how long how long will we be using fibre for? And indeed, will that will it also require f- uh, further updates? Yeah, it's a good question, Ronan. Um, uh, fibre is one of the key five benefits of, of fibre. Is it's uh, future proofed? Uh, so fibre, once it's in the ground, you you won't be transitioning to any other. Uh, infrastructures or different technologies, uh, it probably has a life cycle of 40, 50 years, really, in reality. Uh, and those, once those connections are in place, they can be upgraded at the, at the end. So uh, the speeds we would do up to 10 gigabits speed. So it gives you an idea uh, how uh, fast those technologies are. Uh, so it's a significant improvement on, on the, uh, the path. Absolutely, yeah. We won't mention the things like water meters that went into the ground and by the time they were uh, taken to being used, a lot of them are nearly out of date already. But anyway, moving on. Ronan, you've been with Syro since the start, basically 2016. And if we go back to that time, you were basically, Syro was a startup with zero network and zero customers. 
Um, what has been the key to your success in, in the intervening years? Um, I, I, I would put it down to, listen, building a network is really important and having great teams uh, within CSIRO to build those interest, those networks. You need really experienced people. But ultimately, CSIRO is a wholesale company, so it's it's all down to partnerships. Our partnerships with our, our key customers like Vodafone, Sky, Virgin Media. These are all selling CSIRO services now, Viatel, uh, Black Knight and Carlo. Um, so we, we, we have built up great partnerships and ultimately if we have bad partnerships we can't do business. It's the same on the building of the infrastructure. We use a lot of contractors to roll out the network. Uh, again, uh, you, you, you need to work very, very closely with those partners to roll out a network. And we build on an ESB infrastructure. So uh, all of that uh, is the key to our success as well as being that. Um, being there at the right place at the right time but also having those partnerships to execute directly so uh, that's what I put it down to Well done because it's a, it's such an important part of, of Ireland retaining its competitive and deep strategic advantage uh, in terms of delivering good business to and even quality of life I suppose as, as our, our what we want as consumers and users of the internet changes um, year on year as well but uh, a lot done and a lot more to do to borrow a famous phrase from a, from a former politician but uh, for now Ronan Whelan uh, thank you so much for joining us this evening and for giving us that update on, on the Cyro broadband rollout Take care. Bye. Ronan Whelan there is the Chief Commercial Officer at Syro. You can check them out, syro.ie. Time now for another quick break. After that, I'll be joined by John McCann to look at that whole area of tax and tax debt warehousing and um, for any company that was putting you know tax away into that warehouse during COVID as well. You know, Great initiatives put in place by revenue, but uh, revenue eventually, as we all know, do come back looking for their money and um, so important thing you need to know as a business owner. After that too, we'll find out about some new innovative courses uh, aimed at people in the hospitality and tourism sector as well. So lots to come here on Taking Care of Business. Taking Care of Business. With thanks to the local enterprise offices of Leash, Offaly and Westmead. Find us on localenterprise.ie and let's talk business. This day next week, uh, Pascal Dunahoo and Michael McGrath will reveal and unveil all the details of Budget 2024. Now, of course, we'll probably know quite a lot of them in advance, but uh, it'd be very interesting to see what actually transpires next week. Uh, we'll be dedicating taking care of business to the budget as well and examining all those key measures in detail. Now, of course, many people are asking what are they going to do for you know, the ordinary citizens? What will be done for businesses? And I suppose that gives us a chance to reflect on what has been done for businesses, particularly during COVID-19. Um when and one thing you know, we looked at things like the VAT rate and stuff like that, and the various employee wage measures and all that were brought in, which really you know kept businesses afloat, kept them liquid, got them through COVID as well. But there was a huge part of that. Another move that was done was the, to allow business to warehouse tax debt, and this was for business who experienced cash flow and trading difficulties during the pandemic. And under the scheme, business could defer paying some eligible tax liabilities until you were until they were in a position to financially deal with that debt. Now, interest rates did apply. It was 0% during period 1 and 2 and 3% from the start of period 3. Now, period 3 started when period 2 ended on the 1st of May of this year, but businesses have until the 1st of May of next year to agree a phased payment arrangement re- revenue if there still is outstanding debt there. And a lot of the numbers suggest that there is quite a lot of outstanding debt or indeed debt that is warehoused. So to look at this a little bit uh, deeper, I'd like to be joined by John McCann from MCM Accountants. Very good evening, John. Good evening, Ronan. How are you? Thanks for having me on. John, some of the numbers here, I know it's something we've touched on in the show over the past year or two as well. We're looking at over 60,000 business and individuals still availing of the tax debt warehousing. Do we know any more about it in terms of the breakdown and, and what sort of numbers from a monetary perspective are involved too? Well, I, I suppose we just, we've just had a quick look. It's not always that clear, um, but it would appear that there's about 2 billion outstanding in this warehouse system. 
Um, and at the moment, there's about 85,000, uh, sorry, 85 million been written off. It's about 45 4.25% that they're not going to collect. <laughs> but nonetheless, and, and if you just take a simple average, it would say that there's about 35,000 owed per 60,000 taxpayer, but that's a, a very, very simple division. But it's a substantial amount of money. And, you know, um, it's, it's, uh, I would certainly be very concerned to see if this money is going to come in. And I certainly, as you say, I'm not a fan of the revenue commissioners, not a fan of how they behave towards um, self-employed, most certainly not a fan of how they generally deal and conduct themselves. Um, and I believe that uh, given, because of all those sort of uh, negative issues, um, I think they're going to lose quite a lot of this money, particularly as um, businesses are slowing down. We hear today on the news, um, Corporation tax revenue is down by twenty three percent, and that is the golden nut in the whole in the whole deal. So you know, um, I, I would be very concerned that they're going to collect the money, and I think it's absolutely down to themselves for making a dog's dinner of it. Okay, because as well, okay. if we look at that three percent um, interest that's now due from the start of May for any money that is warehouse too, I mean, that, is that just compounding the problem for businesses, or will it be an incentive they might need to to actually look at repaying it, or are some businesses just choosing to ignore the repayments? Um, yeah, absolutely, Dr. Rowan, that's a very fair point. I would have been a complete critic and absolutely, you know, would have lost the head <clears throat> about how the EWSS and TWSS by revenue was disgraceful. Every bit of it was disgraceful and sort of disgraceful by the government and the senior civil servants that in, mismanaged in, in, what, in what way? In what way? And what I mean by that, hmm. in very simple terms, when they were dishing out money, they weren't, they weren't actually recouping their taxes. Now, I don't understand why you would do that. I mean, certainly it was important to assist companies, but at the very least they should have taken their tax uh, back. And they didn't do that. And what they have done is they've created a situation where quite a number of companies have probably been kept going um, and they probably wouldn't have been able to keep going without these government subsidies, have built up taxes and have absolutely no ability to repay them. And all these silly schemes, and they are silly schemes, of, of trying to get people, well, you've got to another 18 months to get this sorted out. This should have been done two years ago and say, look, you owe X amount of tax. We have to come up with some bad payment scheme. And instead of playing stupid words like charging interest and not charging interest, the key to this was getting somebody, a taxpayer, into the habit of repaying. And if they had to do it over 10 years, let them do it over 10 years. But they have just civil servant servantized this whole procedure and made, to me, a complete dog's dinner. And I believe that quite a lot of this money is going to be written off not going to be able to recover because they haven't had the intelligence to deal with it in a proper private sector way. And I listened to Joe Howley uh, and, and, and the stuff that he came out with. I mean, a civil servant who is actually trying to deal with the private sector and has absolutely no idea where money comes from, how money is generated. And every day he comes in, he's going to get his money one way or the other. So he was the wrong person to put in there in terms of dealing with this. This should have been done by the private sector and run by the private sector, answer directly to the government, to, to somebody like Pascal O'Donnell, who I have to say I incredibly admire because he's a very clever man. The revenue are <laughs> saying that basically from the 1st of May, you a company has to have a phased payment arrangement in place. Now, by the end of July of this year, about 5% or €99 million euros of the value of the warehouse debt was subject to an agreed PPA. How likely do you think is that? To, how, how, how far will that rise, do you think, in the next uh, six months before that, that deadline hits or six or eight months? Well, Ronan, like, you can put a PPA in. And again, I'm going to go on about the mismanagement here. I certainly dealt with one client here who um, 
uh, I'd ran into a, a number of difficulties during the COVID period. And um, we made contact with the revenue and suggested, well, do you know what? Maybe we pay off some of this debt. Nobody advised us. And what they did was said, well, hold on a sec. Today's debt is due and they charge full interest on that. Now, we were very cross about that. But, well, look, you're the guys who run the system. Could you not have advised us? No, what we strongly suggest is you actually um, deal with the old stuff and, and or sorry, deal with the new stuff and we'll deal with the older stuff through PPA and um, or um, a, a warehouse uh, repayment situation. They didn't do that. I don't believe they're going to be able to manage. I don't think they're any better today. And I do believe that it's not going to happen. I really don't believe it's going to happen. I was going to suggest you that given the, the expected or the predicted uh, corporation tax income over the next five or ten years, the government seemed to be kind of pulling back on that a little bit. I think I saw a headline again today that the the, the, next, the last month's figures were below expectations as well. So maybe well below, any, 23%. Yeah, so maybe any notion we might have had of them just writing off this debt is not going to happen now, I think, either. So, I mean, what happens? Like, I mean, surely we can't believe it. Hey, Ronan, Ronan, these boys in civil servant land can turn around and say, we're not writing this off. If you can't collect it, you can't collect it. And it's about time they copped on and realised how, how you actually go and do this business and go to the private sector and say, look, how do your reads be collected and at the same time maintain viable businesses? And you know what? That's one day they're going to have to get off the VOT Toms and actually meet us and, and, and sit with us, not playing their own little civil servant games, but actually sitting there and saying, how do you deal with this? And every business is different because what's happened really over the COVID thing, COVID has changed how business has been done. And many, many businesses have completely changed the model. So, for example, like retail has taken hammering because we all got very happy in COVID time in terms of paying, you know, of, of doing everything online. And certain businesses, in the, certainly in the retail sector, have had to completely change their business model. Um, and, and time was needed to do that. And the way they will do their business, and it may take 10 years for them to do that change, and it may take 10 years to, you know, to good, decent business to pay their taxes back. But that's where the boys have got to be. They've got to sit down and look at each individual business and do it with somebody in the private sector that actually understands where money comes from and sit down and say, Rick, this is how we're going to do it. You certainly won't do it on what they're proposing. Now, that would be certainly my, my opinion of was, how you, it has to be done. You mentioned Pascal Donoghue there. Of course, he's a big day ahead of him again uh, this day next week along with Michael McGrath. What, do, what, what would you like to see happening from a business perspective? What do you... What do Irish businesses need most in terms of you know, what the government can deliver them in the, the next week's budget? Uh, well, I, okay. Uh, first of all, I would acknowledge, uh, and I've said, an enormous amount of time for Pascal. You know, I, I do think he's he's a very smart guy, he's a very intelligent guy, he's a guy who's got the ability to listen. Um, and uh, I, I think he actually considers considers what he's going to do very, very carefully. He doesn't do it on a whim. And I don't think he necessarily does it um, just kind of... Um, Feed, feed the voters. I, I think he has a, a bit of decency and honesty about him. So what do I think they need to do is, well, the first thing I think they need to do is they need to um, remove the disincentive to work. We have, uh, so what I mean by that is that if people go out to work, give them the tax relief to go to work. Give them tax relief to travel. And don't give this crap about this kind of Eamon, Eamon Ryan nonsense about the old kind of bus air and little, little card you get that your employer can give you. Give people a proper incentive to go to work. And that means if they have to pay and spend €100 Euro a week on um, petrol and that sort of thing, allow that. That's the first thing. So what that does then, that means that there are more people available to do work um, and that hopefully the pressure on, on, on wages won't be as high for small businesses. 
But at least people have an incentive. So they are no worse off than the guy who's sitting down doing nothing. The second thing they need to do is, and, 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 and certainly as a, as a father of three daughters, I mean, where in the name of God are they listening? Give proper tax um, incentives to childcare. So if you have to pay 2000 a month in childcare uh, to a particular childcare and let them be registered or whatever and have it all sorted out, give them tax credits are tax relief at 40% plus USC plus PRSI. And stop using these stupid kind of terms, USC, PRSI, it's tax. Give them the proper tax relief. So that means that the, the mammies that have to go out to work, and I say mammies, and I don't say it in a sexist that way, but usually it's the mammies that take that responsibility, that they are fully incentivized to work and to go out and work. So that means they are no worse off by working and certainly are better off by work than those that are not working. That would be the, and I think that would actually give a huge incentive um, for the economy and certainly improve everything for, for, for um, employers and employees and it would actually increase the workforce. Yeah, I think that one, that one, childcare, maybe support for childcare is one that, that, that isn't going away. It's becoming a bigger problem for people year on year. Even that sector itself was protesting last week up at Dáil Éireann about... Again, but Ron, how stupid can it be not to give it? So, like, you've, you've got somebody that won't go to work because they can't pay for childcare. Sorry, they, it, that, the, that the, the pay is going to be less because the government keeps taking the taxes off. Like, our tax rates are penal enough, but if you give the proper incentives, you know, incentivize somebody instead of kicking somebody around the place is a much, much more powerful tool to get somebody to do something willingly. We live in a democracy. We live in a country. We're not like Russia. You know, we have the choices. So incentivize it rather than disincentivize it. Will, um, and I think that's a very important point. The other thing that I would suggest to make, and there's lots, there's lots of sectors are looking for a few, this, that, and the other thing. I certainly think moving the VAT rate from... Um, from 9% for the hospitality up to 13.5%. You know, my, my, my three-year-old grandson wouldn't make that stupid decision mm-hmm. because the 13.5% brigade primarily are employing people. So, you know, what are they going to do? Uh, once 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 you take 4.5% off their, or 4% off their, 4.5% off their margin, they're like, you know what, lads, we're going to let people off. And then they're going to pay out on Dole and they're going to pay it out on, on all the various social welfare payments. Yeah, it, it seems to be a very, very that I, I don't think I've seen anybody in that sector anywhere nearly that that is in full support of it as well. And it seemed like I think we were talking something like five hundred million over the course of a year of of lost revenue to the exchequer. Which but I'm saying, Ronan, can I make handle. a point here? And this is something John, I it, really it better be rapid because I go very quickly. I will, I'll finish here. Seconds. <laughs> it's not lost money; it's money they've taken from us. I make that point. True. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No. That's it. I think. I think. Um, People will be watching that to see maybe uh, they're unlikely thing to roll back on that one, but I think it would be certainly welcomed uh, by by many people if it was to come in. John, as always, thank you for that, and um, we look forward to Thanks, seeing Ronan. what comes out next Tuesday. And if Pascal listens and gives you all your wishes, John McCann there from MCM Accountants and Tullamore. Time for a quick break. I suppose John has talked there about that kind of retail and hospitality sector. Um, the restaurant and hospitality Skillnet have launched a new. A platform for e-learning programs designed to help business be more efficient and profitable. Find out about those after this quick break. Taking care of business with thanks to the local enterprise offices of Leash, Offaly, and Westmeath. Find us on localenterprise.ie and let's talk business. The Restaurant and Hospitality Skillnet was established in 2017 by the Restaurants Association of Ireland to provide partially funded training to those working in restaurants and the wider hospitality industry. That's everybody from owners to managers, head chefs to commie chefs, and front of house service staff. So basically, the entire suite of staff that you might have in those businesses. We've mentioned 
business in that sector over the course of the show as well as talking about debt warehousing and also talking about the various challenges that might be out there and, and maybe expectations ahead of budget 2024 but the Skillnet has just announced two new e-learning programmes so to find out more about those I'm delighted to be joined by Network Manager Neve O'Malley. Uh, Neve, very good evening, welcome to Taking Care of Business. Hi Ronan, thanks for having me. Neve, can you give us the overview of these two new programmes that you've developed and I suppose the, the why behind them, why you felt that your members needed mm-hmm. them? Yeah, so the two new programmes we've created are Creating Continuous Improvements and Labour Forecasting and Scheduling. And I suppose the overall objective of these programmes is to help hospitality businesses become more efficient and profitable. And there's a need there for businesses to constantly improve their processes and also to manage their labour better to, to become more profitable. So the Creating Continuous Improvements is a programme that we take learners through a methodology for managing continuous improvement projects. And this is called the Lean Project Frameworks. And that's been inspired by the Lean and Six Sigma methodologies, which we all are aware are more common in the industry sectors, such as manufacturing, government and pharmaceuticals. And how are these programmes going to be delivered then? They're, they're all on, they're entirely online? Yes, so they're delivered in an e-learning format and delivered through multi multimedia. So we've designed these to be available all year round and easily accessed from anywhere through a mobile laptop or computer device. So all you need is your employee's full name and their email address. And once we have this, they can log in and out as they please and the progress is saved, meaning that the learner can go back at any time to also review the content. And within each program, there's subject matter expert-led videos and also downloadable templates which can be implemented within the business. So they're very practical as well. Is it largely seen as well as a way of trying to maybe bridge a skills gap that the industry might be suffering from you know, in a post-COVID world? Yeah, exactly. So we're hearing lots about, I suppose, the labour shortages and how we need to probably better manage the staff that we have in the industry to just help them and their time so um, it's definitely looking at productivity and how we can improve our methods but also improving the, the business methods as well. And in terms of eligibility what companies can actually apply to avail of the training and indeed I suppose how can they go about, about registering and getting involved with you? Yes so they're currently available for anyone who's employed within the restaurant and hospitality industry so as you mentioned it can be anyone owners, managers, supervisors, front of house staff etc um, membership of our network is free to join so once you become a member you can avail of our member discount rate and once you've applied the member discount rate the programs are only 35 euro per person and these can all be booked directly through our website at www.rhskillnet.ie Absolutely, and it was that the Skillnet in general overall has provided over 70.2 million euros worth of training to this restaurant and hospitality Skillnet, obviously uh, training up those staff and that in that crucial area too, because again, we heard the news today about how uh, visitor rates to a lot of tourist attractions are down. They're still nowhere near post-COVID, so it's, it's great to hear that organisations like your Skillnet are coming together to sort of meet the needs of that industry as well. So um, what's your expected uptake? How many people would you like to train over the next while on these programmes? We'd hope to see at least 100 staff members going through the programmes over the next few months and then, of course, they'll continue to run them into 2024. So like that, they'll be available all year round and right into next year as well. So and we hope to, to see a great uptake. 
Absolutely. I had Barry Kennedy from the County Arms and Borough on recently talking about Vision 2030 as well. So huge opportunities within the tourism and, and restaurant sector as well. And uh, great to hear that you're playing your part. But for now, Neva Mali, thank you so much for that this evening. Thanks very much, Ronan. Neva Mali, there is the restaurant and uh, sorry, the network manager at the Restaurant and Hospitality Skillnet. So again, if you're uh, in that area, in that sector, want to get involved, just uh, go follow the details as Neve gave there and um, look at getting your staff signed up as well because uh, anything around lean management and, and cost control and labour forecasting is a very useful skill set for people to have. Thanks to Neve for coming on. And uh, thanks to all this evening's guests for their contributions. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed those. I'll be back next week from around 7pm as always. Business at Midlands103.com is the email. Time for me to uh, vacate the studio because we've given Joe Cooney an evening off and the one and only Mr John Hogan is going to sit in the hot seat on country roads from 8 o'clock bringing you the very best of Irish country music. Have a great week. I'll talk to you all next week from 7. Taking care of business returns next Tuesday at 7pm with the local enterprise offices of Leash, Offaly and Westmeath. Find us on localenterprise.ie and let's talk business.